prayer. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51. And then I'm going to read down to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51. Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Our Father, we come before you this morning in behalf of our sister Peg, and we just ask you to please comfort her. And we pray for healing. Uh, We pray, Father, that um, we just thank you that though she had this fall, we think of how serious um, someone of her age, Father, that takes a fall like that. So many times we hear uh, not what we've heard with Peg, and we know that you... um, protected her to some degree, and we just pray that you'd please be with her, calm her, and give her peace. We pray for healing. Thank you for the medical staff. Just pray you'd help them as they tend to her needs. Thank you for those that have um, risen up and been a blessing and ministered to her. And we just pray that she would sense your presence and know your love and the love of the saints is with her. We commit her to you. Pray for Joanne that she would experience the same thing. Though she's not been with us for a long time because of her health. She's been with us in spirit. And uh, my father-in-law, I just pray, Father, you'd please bless both of them. And that Joanne would just sense your peace. We do pray for some more good days. We pray that you'd please extend her life uh, enough to see her grandkids again and all her children. And we just commit her to you and for Dad that you'd give him extra strength as he attempts to be the rock that he has been for so many others, uh, that he would be the rock for his beloved. Help him to be strong. And uh, Father, we ask your blessing now. Um, Thank you for all that have prayed for my folks. I just lift them up to you. Thank you for my cousins and my siblings and just the, the folks that have rallied around us. What a blessing. And now I pray for your word, that you would use your word. Help me to preach Uh, What your word says, help me to preach truth. And the people that are listening or that will listen down the road, that they will grapple with the truths that are being communicated and that they would not just give mental assent and then later on abandon them, but that they would take these things so seriously that it would transform their life. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you may be seated.
Good morning. Thank you for being here today. So glad that you're here. We are going to take our Bibles and uh, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to do something a little different today uh, in that tonight. I am not going to continue the Jeremiah series. I'm going to put that on pause uh, till next Sunday, Lord willing. And then tonight I'm going to finish what I start this morning. And um, I, our family, even our church, but our family um, has really uh, been faced the last month or two with, um, with death, you know, with our own mortality. Uh, I've mentioned, and those of you that join us on prayer meeting, uh, we have a beloved neighbor that uh, also got a brain tumor like my dad, was diagnosed in September of just this last year and passed away two Sundays ago. Uh, and this was a precious guy. He's been our neighbor since we moved in in 1994. Um, and he even wrote a song for our family, about our family. I may play it tonight. Um, I might not. But um, this guy is so precious to us. And some things I'm going to share tonight uh, have come forefront in my mind uh, because of Tony Tony's passing. And then with my, my dad having a brain tumor, uh, an aggressive brain tumor, given, you know, a year at most. And, um, and my mother-in-law taking a turn. We've just been, just been smack dab face to face with mortality. And so that's what I want to talk about. I remember when I was 17 years old, it was the first time I was given what, what we call tracks. I was given two Bible tracts, and I was 17 years old. First time I remember ever getting Bible tracts, the first one was called, Why the Golden Rule is Not Enough. And that was good for me, you know, religious kid. Uh, But the the other one was this. It said, the title of the tract was, Where Will You Be Five Minutes After You Die? I got that when I was 17 years old. Where will I be five minutes after I die? You know, death is a horrible topic. And for a 17-year-old, I remember when my friends, they got the same track and we were, you know, at the same Bible study. Uh, You know, that is a negative subject, especially when you're only 17 years old. Who wants to think about death at the age of 17? And so many of my friends bid the, you know, the guy that gave him the track and was doing the Bible study, they said, adieu, what's, goodbye, I bid you, is that right, Spanish? Adieu, okay, all right, I want to check with my Spanish folks here. What's that? It's French. <laughs> it's French. <laughs> they were so kind, they're like, yeah, sure, it can be whatever you want it to be. <laughs> anyway, so my friends, you know, my friends are like, you know, I'm, I've had it, you know, they said goodbye. To make it, you know, they, they didn't want anything to do with it. Um, you know, that's not, you know, that's a topic. And I remember they're, they're thinking, and even mine initially, it's like, you know, death, that's a topic you think about when you're old. You know, and you're in a rocking chair. We used to say that. I'll think about that when I'm old and in a rocking chair. But I want to ask you something. Does death need to be a topic that is avoided? Or is it something we should give attention to? Of course, that's where I believe 
clearly the Bible speaks about death. In fact, the word death is found about 346 times in the Bible. That's just our English translation that we use. There's actually some other words uh, that are also translated from that same root words. And then the word die or died. So there's death found 346 times. And then the word die or died is found 640 times at least. More than that probably, but 640 times. So the Bible has a lot to say about death. And there's a term the Bible uses, not as often, it probably a dozen times one, in one phrase or another, that speaks of death and it's, it's, it's something that you and I are called. We are called mortal. And that word literally means sub- subject to death. Uh, mortality is defined as a condition of being mortal or subject to death. A mortal is a person destined to die. Now, even as I say that, I'm like, that is a morbid, in fact, the word morbid means death. That's a morbid topic. And and, and I could totally relate to my friends. We're 17 years old, we're young, we got our whole life ahead of us, and this guy's talking to us about death. But for some reason, God was stirring my heart, and I realized um, that I need to consider what he's saying. That, um, you know, I had a friend that um, had leukemia. I'm going to share his story tonight because when I got saved, it was the first person that came to my mind Jimmy. I got to get the gospel to Jimmy. Because when I first met him in junior high, he had leukemia back then. And he was told by the doctors, you're, gonna, you're not going to live past 17. Now, he lived to 23. But I'll never forget, you know, that kind of rocked my world. I just thought, he's my age. I mean, we, we, and he's dying. And he, he, he lived life so amazingly considering that he had a death sentence hanging over his head. Which, by the way, we all do. We all have a death sentence hanging over our head, and it's called mortality. You and I are mortal. So, this whole idea of being, we are subjected to death. One of the best, clearest scriptures, and I want you to stay here in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to quote 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, really describes our condition of being mortal. And it gives some, some meat to it. Here's what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. That's an interesting phrase. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle. So what's he talking about? Church? Tabernacle? Talking about our homes? Our, Our apartments? Our living places? No. He's talking about our bodies. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, that's our body, We know that if this is dissolved, we have a building of God. And then he goes on and says some things that gives us hope in these mortal bodies. And then he said this in verse 2. He said, for in this we groan. And and then in verse 4 he says it again. "We We that are in this tabernacle do groan. Sin. Sin came upon the world. Death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 
So being mortal, folks, doesn't just mean we have an expiration date. It means that there's also a lot of suffering and pain that goes with it. And he says, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, this is deep words we'll explain later, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So he's talking about mortality. He's saying, we are all subject to death. And we are burdened. We groan. And that describes this. A lot of groaning going on. People falling. Injuring themselves. People that aren't able to get out of bed. People that need serious surgery to prolong their life by maybe months. Just, we're groaning, aren't we? We're groaning. So this morning we're going to look at two things, primarily. First of all, the future of mortality. It's weird, isn't it? Because if mortality means we're subject to death, the Bible has something to say about mortality. And it's not going to be with us forever. Did you hear that? We are subject to death. It's kind of a cloud hanging over our heads. But it does not need to be permanent. And then secondly, the controller of mortality. There's someone who, is, who calls the shots as far as our expiration date. wasn't planning on using that phrase. Suddenly I'm like, that's a good phrase. We have an expiration date. Hebrews 9.27 It is appointed unto men once to die. You and I have an expiration date. We are mortal. And we, it's an uncomfortable topic, no doubt. And because of that, so many people push it out of their minds. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. The future of mortality. Behold, I show you a mystery, Paul says. We shall not all, what's the next word? Sleep. You say, that's bad news. I like sleeping. I I, want to sleep. I like sleeping every day. He's not talking about that. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound. And notice this now, because he's picking up on a phrase that would become a colloquial phrase, a phrase that would be used by the church that began from the mouth of Jesus Christ. We believe, I think the first time was with his dear friend Lazarus, who died. And Jesus presented a a concept at the time that was laughable. Because he said Lazarus is asleep. But he had really died. And Jarius' daughter is another example. Who lady? This gal had died. And Jesus said, She's asleep. In fact, the Bible tells us in three of the Gospels in that scenario, when he said uh, about Jairus' daughter, she's asleep, they knew she died, and it says they laughed him to scorn. It was laughable. But that would become very important to the church and to Christians who face death. So much so that Paul embraced it. And, And in Thessalonians, he said... Now concerning them which are asleep, he was talking about those who died. So he picked up with it. And I submit to you, if you're a born-again believer, when it comes to other born-again believers, you and I who have hope in the resurrection, we can have a different vocabulary. We don't need to talk about death. We don't need to sorrow as others who have no hope. 
And so we can talk about death and use the word sleep. Who's afraid of sleep? I'm not, I, I like sleeping. I wish I'd slept better. You know, I'm not getting good sleep lately, but sleep's good. I know you're saying, some of you are real spiritual. And you're like, the Bible says, love not sleep. Right? So, how many of you were thinking of that? You're rebuking me. You're like, Pastor, we're not supposed to love sleep. Okay, the Bible does say that. In other words, that, and that's addressing laziness. But the Bible t- does say the rest of a laboring man is sweet. So, people who work hard sleep good. And that's not condemned. Sleep's a good thing. Sleep's nothing you and I need to fear. It's a rest. In fact, the very phrase, rest in peace, speaks of sleeping in Jesus Christ. So he says, Behold, we shall not all sleep, i.e. die, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead, the dead, that's what he's talking about, shall be raised. Okay, now what are we before we die? Mortal. But after we die, for the Christian, we will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. There's a saying I heard many years ago that's not a quote, direct quote from Scripture, but it is a truth that is conveyed in oodles and oodles away in the Scriptures, and that is this. Everyone will live somewhere forever. You ever think of that? Every human being is going to live somewhere forever. You say, I don't believe that. Doesn't matter. You're still going to live somewhere forever, according to God's word. So, let's talk about this, this phrase that Jesus started. In fact, let's go. Um, let's go to John chapter eleven. And while you're turning to John chapter eleven and verse eleven, I want to read to you the the one that I quoted about Jairus's daughter. Um, if you're taking notes, Matthew chapter nine. Um, Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8 all give us different aspects of this story about Jairus' daughter. And um, Jairus comes. We know, we know it's Jairus. He's not identified here in Matthew, but he's identified in Luke chapter 8. And he is a ruler of the synagogue. We learn that from the Mark account. So a ruler of the Jews comes to Jesus and says, My, my daughter, I believe, is dead. Verse 18, yes, of Matthew 9, 18. Uh, his daughter was dead. And so Jesus comes on the scene. And he said unto them when he came upon the house, he said, give place for the maid is not dead but sleepeth. Now, everyone knew that, that she had died. They knew that this, this, she didn't make it. And, and it was so offensive, so foreign for him to say that, I'm sure it seemed very disrespectful. Here, this guy just lost his daughter, and you have the audacity to say, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And so it says, in all three instances, in Mark, here in Matthew, and in Luke, it says, they laughed him to scorn. In other words, they ridiculed him. This was, you could just imagine how inappropriate is that? How, how, how can you talk about someone that, who just died and you're saying she's asleep? That's, that offends me. They, they laughed him to scorn. They ridiculed him. They didn't know who he was, did they? 
They didn't realize that he had the power to raise the dead. Another example, John chapter 11, if you're there. John chapter 11, we learn, in fact, let me get there so we can read the beginning of John chapter 11 and verse 1. It sets the scenario. John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now you got these two sisters, and Lazarus, he loves Lazarus. It's a very close family friend. And they tell Jesus, my brother is sick. Now without going in, I love to use this text when I preach at funerals. There's so much to it. Because the sisters... Knowing who Jesus is, are certain that Lazarus's only hope, now he has not died, unlike uh, Jairus' daughter, he's not died yet, but he is sick unto death. And both Mary and Martha are thinking in their mind, we got to get word to Jesus. He is Lazarus's only hope. But Lazarus was mortal. And so it's appointed unto men once to die. If everyone has. If all things go until the Lord calls us, until the rapture, until the resurrection, we're all going to go the way of death, the way of all the earth. And so they knew there's an urgency there. Lazarus is sick. You love him. You are his only hope. Get here. Now in their mind, true love is going to, he's going to drop what he's doing and get there ASAP, right? And guess what he does? He stays right where he is. And his disciples are like, hey, you know, shouldn't we? Um, this is my paraphrase, okay? So it will not be perfect. But they're like, hey, Jesus, we need to get there. We need to get there. This guy's on death's door. And Jesus says to them, and this is where he says, Lazarus sleeps. And like, well, if he sleeps, oh, oh, is that it? He's only sleeping. And Jesus says at the end of verse, this is John eleven eleven. but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. So all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, this is no rush. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he's sleep, he shall do well. Hey, he probably needs his rest. If he's sick and he's just sleeping, maybe we don't need to get there quickly. And then Jesus said, or verse 13, Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he spoke, had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. And so, verse 14, then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So do you see the scandal? Do you see the misinterpretation of his motives? Like, from the sisters maybe? They, they sent word? And if Jesus had dropped what he would do, was doing, he would have been there before Lazarus died. But he didn't get there. In fact... When he finally arrived on the scene, Lazarus had been dead a couple days. Both sisters, twice, at different times, both sisters said to him, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. They were very disappointed. In fact, Jesus said, your brother will live again. One of the sisters said, I know, in the resurrection. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that that believeth on me shall not die. 
let me get that. John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. I had this memorized. What's going on with me? What is it? 1125. God bless you, Mike. Thank you. Oh, that's it, Mike. You're right. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead. This is the point. They're disappointed. Jesus didn't get here in time. Jesus let Lazarus die. I wonder how many of us, I wonder how many people today have laid blame at the feet of God because they allowed their loved one to die. Jesus knew what he was doing. He wanted them to realize that he is the Lord even of death. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever, here's the key, whosoever liveth, And believeth in me shall never die. And he said, and I love doing this at funerals, because you have so many unsaved people. And he said, believest thou this? Do you believe this? And folks, every one of us that remain, that's the critical question. Do we believe? Because that's our only hope in death. Did the person in the casket believe? That's pretty important, very important. But for the living, those remaining... Remember that Luke 16, the rich man, he died, was too late for him. He wanted someone to go back and tell his, um, what do you call that, the, the next of kin, the, the ones that are, are remaining. Yeah, but there's a word they use. No, not siblings. I, and I'm not going to get stuck on it. It's the, it's the people that are left behind. And you remember, he wanted, he wanted someone to go and tell them about this, this eternity. And you remember Abraham said, he is Moses and the prophets. If, let them hear that. And the, and the rich man said, no. But if someone came back from the dead, they'll believe. And that's where we have this revelation, this truth. He has the scriptures. If they don't believe the scriptures, they wouldn't be persuaded though someone came from the dead. See, that's the living's last hope is the scriptures. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Because your eternity will be determined by that. While you're alive. The future of of death. So, this word sleep now, Jesus used it here, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, and now Paul would use it many times. Apparently the, the, uh, the Thessalonians were concerned because Paul had just come to them a few weeks or a month or two before that and preached that Jesus is coming again. And they're all geared up and excited about Jesus coming again. But he didn't come right away. I mean, they're like anticipating the next few days, next few weeks. And then all of a sudden some of their loved ones die that are saved. And, and they weren't planning on that. So they wrote Paul apparently. And then in First Thessalonians he wrote back and he said, Now concerning, and most people believe that, He was addressing a question. What about my loved one that died? And he said, now concerning those which are asleep. And he uses that phrase again. And then he talks about the hope that those who sleep in Jesus are going to come again. That's everything. 
So there is the fact that you and I are mortal. All of us are mortal, but we are going to live somewhere forever. A couple uh, years ago, my mom sent me a, an article that was in a German newspaper. Actually, my aunt sent it to my mom about my great-grandfather. I love tracing our roots. I love finding out. I've shared with you that uh, one of my other cousins on my dad's side tr- traced our history and found out that uh, my great-grandfather was a, a Baptist. We don't have any Baptists in our family. I am such a rebel. I'm an anomaly, maybe a disappointment to my family. And all of a sudden I found out that great-grandpa was a Baptist deacon. Now, I, you know, I would have loved to say, what would great-grandpa think of you? But I'm not going to pull that card at all. Uh, and we found, the, the, I've shared this before, we found the minutes of the church. In fact, it's, it's the area where Bill Fetchick now lives, Glasgow Junction. And it was uh, Mission, Glasgow Junction Baptist Church. And it was the record written in the hand of the secretary about my great-grandfather's death. And it said, William Whitney Lyon, born this date, and then said this wonderful word, wait, phrase, born again, and it gives the date. He was saved when he was 17. Same age I was when I got saved. And what a blessing. What an awesome thing. So we named... Uh, we used his middle name, William Whitney. We used my son, Garrett Whitney, because that was special. This is my other side of the family. And uh, Max Gustav Pape, on my mom's side, my maternal grandfather, um, was from Germany, and he did a trip. He was 90 years old. And he left, he left Germany when he was 26 years old and had not been back for um, 65 years. And one of his things, before they had a bucket list, he said, I want to go back to my home. Um, I want to go back to my home country, Germany. He had a sister, Martha, that was 12 years old when he left. And he had not seen her in 65 years. And so he traveled back. This was by boat now, you're talking. And he visited with his sister after 65 years. He was 90. And they interviewed him. And we actually have... Uh, not just, we do have the German copy, which means nothing to me, but it was translated into English, and it was from uh, the newspaper called the Hamburg Page. The article was June 10th, 1952. This was before I was born. And it was an article on Max Gustav Pape. It's my grandfather. At 90 years of age, he was traveling back to Germany to reconnect with his sister Martha after 65 years of separation. Uh, Again, he came when he was 26. She stayed 12 years old. And they had a reunion, and that was what the article was about. And the article about the reunion, it noted his age. And it said this, He is a little hard of hearing, but otherwise a perfect living example for the art of reaching a biblical age. I like that. I'd like to know the art of reaching a biblical age. And we have some here that are that are that. And then, and you know how everybody, uh, apparently they've been doing it for a while, you know how everybody goes up to these people that are old and they're like, what's your secret? Oh, I drink orange juice every day. Or no, I don't drink orange juice every day. Or I walk, you know, you hear all that. It's like the question to ask older people. And they ask my grandfather for this article. And here's what he says. This is profound. 
but somewhat sad. He said, what has kept me so young? Well, I will tell you. Can you imagine an old? He's a very distinguished looking man. Very gray hair. Uh, we have pictures of him. Very, you know, very honorable looking man. And he says, what's kept me so young? I will tell you. He said, I've never thought of death. Most people talk too much of dying. Then he shared secretly that he had one more thing he wished that he could do before he died, and that was travel to Africa with his, um, with his daughter. Not the sister, but the daughter. And on the way, way back to America from Germany, he died on the, on the ship. Never got to go to Africa. I was telling my mom, I said, this is pretty neat. I got to go to Africa. You know, for, for Grandpa Max Gustav, you know, Pape. But I want you to think about this. Again, what's, he's asked about death. He says, I've never thought of death. Most people talk too much of dying. Remember how I said when I was 17, and I got, somebody gave me a tract that said, where will you be five minutes after you die? And a lot of attitude of my friends was, you know what, we'll think of that when we get to be old men. Well, here's an old man that's still putting it off. Folks, you and I, we need to face our own mortality. Whether you're 17 or 90, you and I, it's appointed unto men once to die. And here's the shocker of all shockers. After this. You don't understand. I don't believe there's an afterlife. So, the Bible says, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this. We wrote a track. It's on the track rack. It's called Surprise. Will you be surprised? Because so many people are going to be surprised. Because they think there's nothing beyond that. This is all there is. You die, you go into the ground. And folks... So many people, they're going to close their eyes in death. When death's dew is upon their brow, as the hymn goes, they're going to open their eyes to the biggest shock of ever. Because it's appointed unto men once to die, after this, the judgment. Luke 16 gives an example of someone that was shocked that there was an afterlife. The Bible says, Job chapter 14 and verse 1, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job 14 and verse 5 says this, Of man, of us mortals, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou, God, hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. You know what that's saying? It's saying God's the one. He's the one that's appointed us once to die. He set the boundaries. You're not going to pass it. Now some people will prematurely go when they take their own life, self-murder. But God has appointed a, a, a date for each one of us. And, and you can't change that. But I remind you that God is the Lord of death. I close with this story that some of you older folks there may be some familiarity with this event that happened back in 1950. Um, and it was actually, uh, I remember watching it and seeing it on a show called Unsolved Mysteries many years ago, uh, that this actually happened. Uh, and I want you to just listen to this account. It is amazing, and that's why it was on Unsolved Mysteries, 
Uh, it really is not an unsolved mystery. If you have your Bible, you know what it is. Here's what happened. The date was March 1st, 1950. A town called Beatrice, Nebraska. Little Baptist Church. We're very interested in Little Baptist Churches here. We love Little Baptist Churches. And the Reverend, the Pastor Walter Klempel, Klempel, he went to the church, West Side Baptist Church, to get ready, ready for choir practice. So he lit the furnace, and uh, most of the singers, uh, they, this was their weekly annual or their weekly choir practice. It would start at seven fifteen precisely, or seven twenty, I think, is when the practice would begin. Normally, they started arriving at 7.15. So he went there, and then he went home once he got the furnace started. And it was 7.10. It was time for him to go back to church with his wife and his daughter, Marilyn Ruth. And it turned out that Marilyn Ruth's dress was soiled. Don't you hate it when you're getting ready to go to choir practice and you find a stain? And so she had to deal with the stain, and so they waited for her to, to clean it out and, and press it. Then Ladona Vandergrift was a high school sophomore. She was also in the choir. She was having trouble with a geometry problem. I can relate to that. She knew practice began promptly and always came early. She always came early. But she had this problem that she just had to figure out. Royina Estes, was, she was ready to go to choir practice, but her car wouldn't start. So she, her and her sister, LaDona Vandergrift, uh, asked her to pick them up. But LaDona was the girl with the geometry problem, and Esther's sisters had to wait. Sadie Esther, her story was the same as Rayona's. Uh, all day they had been having trouble with the car. It just refused to start. What are the chances? And one by one, I've got let me, Mr. Leonard Schuster would have ordinarily arrived at 7.20 with his small, her small daughter. It's a lady, Mrs. Leonard. But on this particular evening, Mrs. Schuster, Mrs. Leonard Schuster, had to go to her mother's house to help her get ready for a missionary meeting. Herbert Kiff was a lathe operator. Would have been ahead of time. He's also in the choir, but he had to put off an important letter. And he says, I don't know why, but I just felt like I had to finish this letter. Um, There was a stenographer. There's just story after story with all these random situations. And 15, all 15 members of the choir didn't show up on time. How amazing. At 725, there was a roar that was heard on almost every corner of Beatrice. Westside Baptist Church blew up. It exploded at the very time when their choir practice would have had already started. Not one person died. And by the way, you can check this out in Snopes. And again, they've reported this. Maybe you've heard this story before. In fact, when I first heard the story and shared this as an illustration years ago, uh, the, the initial count was that there were 18 people, but it's uh, they interviewed some of the people in the Unsolved Mysteries case many years ago. Uh, but 15 people, all of them with random, seemingly unconnected reasons, did not show up on time. Isn't that amazing? God, and they knew. These were, you know, gospel preaching church. They knew that God had spared their life. Now I say that to remind you that 
Our life is not in our hands. I am so mindful, and we're going to talk about this tonight when we pick up with this. I am so mindful that unto him belong the issues of life and death. And I realize that. I've shared with you each time my wife got pregnant, uh, we would sit there with the pregnancy test and we'd kneel down and we'd just commit that child to the Lord before they were born. We did that nine times. And God graciously allowed four of those children to be born. And as you know, and as John Ricciardi knows, and as some of you know, um, what it's like, our sons are going to be going into the army. As a dad, I want to do everything I can to say no. You know? And um, John, you probably felt this way too, I would imagine. <laughs> you know, But there was living proof right there. And every time I see him, I think, okay, Garrett's going to make it, you know. But you know what? That's not our call. That's not our call. That's, and I think back to that time. My wife and I kneeled down, and we committed that test strip, that pregnancy test, to the Lord. Not even know it would be a boy. In fact, we didn't want a boy. We were so used to having girls. But he belongs to God. And I, for many years, in fact, I preach on this. Remember the verse that says, what dost thou have that thou didst not receive? Now, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't? In other words, everything we have is a gift from God. So for years, I would pray for every one of my kids, and I'd say, Lord, bless my daughters, bless my son, please protect my son. And, and only a few years ago, it dawned on me, what am I saying? That's not my son. That's God's son. That's not my daughter. They're not mine. I'm not the one to call the shots. And so I began to change my my prayer. And it really has helped me with perspective to say, Lord, he's your son. He's your daughter. And, And there's such a freedom to be able to give your children over to the Lord, knowing that, hey, he can he can protect a whole choir, small church, choir. He can protect all of them with totally random things allowing them into his life because he's in charge. By the way, we're going to make, when we start off tonight in this message, we're going to make some correlation because he did do that with some of the people on September 11th, but not all of them. In fact, not a lot of them. But God knows what he's doing. And I want to invite you back tonight because you and I are mortal. I know it's not pleasant, but I would beg of you, if you're listening uh, online, please don't stop. Because you facing your demise is the only way to prepare for it. The psalmist said, teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to remember that we're mortal. Teach us to to think about the fact that we're going to die. So we can prepare for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, As we continue this tonight, Lord, help the thought, the continuity to just continue so that all these thoughts can be laid out. And most importantly, Father, so that every single person listening to this sermon, this message would be exhorted to stop what they're doing and consider their own mortality. Uh, Even, especially if they've grown up in this church and they've heard it all. And maybe they've given mental assent to it and then they've gone on their merry way never to think about it again. Father, I pray that you would shake them awake. Whether they're 17 or 90, 
uh, Lord, that you would remind us that we are mortal and that we need to think how we would answer that question, where will I be five minutes after I die? Help us to think through these things. Help us to face these things. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books out. Let's stand.